Penrod, and my guest today is Carmel Pearson, a behavior analyst. Mel, welcome. Hi, Emily. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mel, it's an honor to have you. Tell us about your journey to become a behavior analyst. Okay, let's see. Well, that starts. I was um, at a very young age, 24, in fact, became a single mom of three kids, three daughters under the age of three. Um, And that was quite a journey in and of itself. But what I found was at 24 years old, I was looking at minimum wage jobs to support a family. And so I knew that I had to go back to school and I tried to find a career where I could be as involved as possible in my children's lives and also have a career. And so I started as a uh, worker in a childcare while I went to school and got uh, an associate's degree in uh, child development. And then by the time I got that, my kids were then in elementary school and I got a, uh, my first job in a special ed classroom um, and it was working with uh, mixed disabilities, um, but primarily autism and I loved it. And so I decided to like my goal hadn't been to be in to get an associate's degree, but I had been in it about two years. I had been focusing on child development. So I changed the degree to be elementary education and I started working on an elementary education degree. And then, and then I just fell passionately in love with these kids in a special ed classroom. And so I changed my degree again. Actually, I think what ended up happening is that I had changed it so much that, uh, that it was going to take, too long to actually complete it. So I rolled that degree up into, I think it was a bachelor's of independent studies and, but it included child development and for a long time, recreation therapy and, um, and education. And then I went on to get my master's in special education because I was just loving what was going on in the special ed classroom. And I thought I would just, um, I think I want to get paid what the teacher gets paid, not just what an aide gets paid. Um, so I went back and got that master's in special education and then taught for three years in Provo school district in the behavior unit. So probably in about 2003, I went into my first behavior unit and really, really loved the behavior side of things and using reinforcement and praise and that to help shape behavior and help kids become the very best that they could be. So one of the other things that was a huge factor in all of that was my kids were kidnapped when they were four, five, and six years old. And um, once I got them back, um, huge trauma, and there was a lot of abuse during that time, um, my kids started getting diagnoses of uh, reactive attachment disorder, ADHD, bipolar, schizoaffective, all kinds of things. And part of the reason that, I mean, I had loved special ed, but I also felt like as a mom, I was not qualified to be the mom of these kids because of um, how significant uh, their mental illness was from the traumas that they had had to endure. So that was part of the reason. Um, So one was to be with my kids and two was to be um, 
to, in order to be an advocate for those kids, I felt like I needed more education in their special needs area. So going along with kids with bipolar and schizoaffective and that, um, I was having my own really big behavior issues with kids. And I wanted more and more to know what the research said about how to affect behavior change. And it was interesting to me, the difference between what schools were saying we should do for behavior and what the research was saying we should do for behavior. And when I was working in Provo School District, they used um, restraint and timeout rooms and told us that that was the most ethical thing to do to help behavior. And I, I watched and behavior wasn't getting beha- getting better, right? And they were, they were going in more often to these timeout rooms and staying longer and becoming more aggressive and angry. And so I could see very clearly that it was not working, but we were still being told that it was. And so, so I literally quit and said, I can't do this anymore. I don't feel like it's right. I don't feel like it's okay. And so in 2013, I believe it was, um, I went back to school and got a second master's degree. And it, it's from the University of Utah. The, the degree is another uh, master's of special education with an emphasis in behavior analysis. So some programs in behavior analysis, you'll go through a psychology program. University of Utah chose to go through special education. So I actually have two special, master's degrees of special education. But at the end of a two-year program, uh, master's program, then you take, you sit for the board exam, which is a national exam, similar to like t- taking the bar exam for um, a law degree, right? So you you take a very difficult test to show that you understand the functions of behavior and the principles of behavior analysis and ABA and that. And so I took that and passed that and started working for different companies that provide ABA services for particularly, well, only kids with autism. Unfortunately, in the state of Utah, the only insurance will only cover treatment from a BCBA for autism. Yet mental illness um, has significant behavior challenges as well. Autism is not the only diagnosis that includes behavior um, excesses. So, so I saw very quickly that, um, that there was a need to use behavior analysis in other areas outside of autism. So that's how I got to the BCBA. Okay. And that is quite a thorough background and extensive training. So as a behavior analyst, you, you're able to meet with parents, and I know that behavior is a major concern for a lot of parents. Just getting their child up and ready for school can be overwhelming. Right. You know, just any behaviors from potty training to temper tantrums to 16-year-olds who are refusing to go to school, people getting in trouble with the law, all of those things. A behavior is anything that a live person can do, right? It's a choice that you make. And so breathing is, is not a behavior. It's not a choice that you make. But, but if you can make a choice to do it, then it's a behavior. And we can use systematic approaches that... So behavior analysis is the science of behavior. It's, and applied behavior analysis is taking the science that we've learned from, 
from all of the science, uh, the research and saying, how do we apply that in the daily lives of somebody to actually change behavior? And there's different areas of behavior analysis. There's organizational behavior management and um, scientific behavior analysis, you know, just doing the science of behavior analysis, the research side. Um, so there's, there's other areas of it. Um, and so a behavior analyst doesn't necessarily just treat autism, which is one of probably the, I don't know what, if it would be a myth or what you would call it, but misnomers. Um, a lot of people believe that a behavior analyst can only help if you have a diagnosis of autism. But you can help with any behavior concerns. And so you would go in, meet with the parent. Do you need to observe the child's behavior or can you get, you know, and then I'm assuming you make recommendations yeah, so we, I go in and do a number of things. Um, the informal assessment is being able to talk to the parents and their, their perspective of things. And then I do a, a data review. I look at maybe any of the doctor's um, diagnoses, any of the school records, any records, medical records that they have. So then I look at all the paperwork and then I always do an observation, yes, to see what it, what it actually looks like. And then we can start doing assessments like taking ABC data, right? So looking for the behavior and the antecedent and the consequence. And, and it's, it's interesting. Sometimes parents think they know what the, what's causing the behavior, um, and just for me going in and watching, I can see that it's it's something different, and it might be an easy fix. It might be um, just a matter of being aware of what's actually causing the behavior. Um, you know, in in autism, we see a lot of uh, sensory overload things, and that's often a trigger that people aren't aware of. So that can sometimes be a really simple fix. Um, but it there's just before we go in or or before I do anything, um, assessment is the biggest part from the informal assessments to the formal assessments. And there's, uh, there's formal assessments that we can do too that are um, from the ABLES and AFLES and VBMAP. Uh, so verbal behavior milestones, those are the formal assessments that we use if necessary. But the, the neat part about behavior analysis is I don't need a diagnosis in order to do it because it's not contingent on the, on the disabilities. I don't treat it differently if they have autism than if they have mental illness or have no diagnosed things. So that's one of the nice things about what I do um, because I don't take insurance and we can talk a little bit about that in a second, but, but what I found was, you know, insurance will have requirements that, you have to have a diagnosis first, but I can save some a family thousands of dollars by not having to go and get that initial diagnosis because it doesn't matter. We treat it this, I would do the same things with or without a diagnosis. And that, so, yeah. that makes sense because it's, as you point out, it's the behavior that's the concern, not understanding the cause, understanding research-based uh, approaches to address the behavior, that's what I think most parents are most concerned about. Right. 
And so we, we can also save months and months of stress too, right? Because I had a client um, who we do want to get a diagnosis for because it opens, uh, diagnosis opens pathways to things that are necessary. It's not necessary for what I do, but it may be necessary for, for them to get other resources that are not through me. But she was trying to find um, somebody that could diagnose her child with with or without autism. Uh, primarily, we think it's an autism diagnosis. But um, first of all, there's very few uh, doctors that are accepting patients right now. Um, there's very long waiting lists, usually six months or more to get in. And then once that diagnosis is or once they've been in and got the assessment, it can take another three months. So we're talking six months to a year to get a diagnosis, to then get on somebody's waiting list to start receiving ABA services. And then the waiting line for ABSurf in all three of the companies that I worked for that provided ABA services, there was at least a six month waiting list. So now we're talking a lot of clients that I met with had been a year to 18 months without services from the time that they finally admitted that there might be something wrong to the time that they were actually getting treatment. Well, I can do a whole lot in 18 months that, that could prevent those problems. I mean, like those problems get really, um, ingrained in 18 months. So, so not only are we saving them thousands of dollars of not having to get a diagnosis, we're also saving them months of time where we can get in there right away and start treatment. And time is critical. Research Absolutely. has shown over and over that early intervention is the key. The sooner you can begin treatment. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, critical. Sooner, sooner is better. Absolutely. In every case. Now, I love the name of your business, Help and Educate Us. Now, that, that includes more than just analyzing behavior. Let's talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I love to do is, is to help people. And um, I feel like the best way we can help people is through education. That's why I got into teaching to begin with. Um, my dad taught at BYU um, for 30 years in the social work department. And so dad was a teacher. I had always wanted to be a teacher. I had been a teacher and I still to this day feel like the very best thing that we can do is help educate. So one of the things, another one of the things that is different about help and educate us than going to one of your other typical ABA providers is that I don't hire a college age student to come in and do the work for you. If you aren't interested in learning how to do what I do, then you, we aren't a good fit because what I want to do is teach you how to manage behavior 24 hours a day instead of having a therapist come in that manages the behavior for you for three hours. So typically ABA is in the home for three hours a day, five days a week. Okay. And that's not provided by the BCBA. That's provided by what they call an RBT or registered behavior technician. And they, you know, make $10, $15 an hour to come in and teach your child the skills that we identify as needing. But what is better to have treatment for three hours, five days a week, or to have it 24 seven, right? So, and then one of the things that I felt was really unethical was 
I would go in and I would, I can fix the behavior in my presence or in the presence of the RBT. But most insurance companies will not pay for me to train the parents. Um, and I felt like that was really unethical. So, so then I leave the parents in a situation where they are unable to handle the child's behavior with me. Now, the parents are allowed to watch. They're allowed to listen. They can ask questions. I can answer them. But I cannot stop treatment with the child and go over to the parent and spend time just with them. The insurance will only cover it if I'm working directly with the child. So I, that was one of the reasons that I left ABA companies and started my own business was because I didn't want rules like that to interfere with me doing what was in the best interest of the child. This may be an oversimplification. It just reminds me of that adage, if you, you can teach someone to fish or you can just give them a fish. And it sounds exactly. like you want to teach them how to work with their own children. I love it. Absolutely, love yeah. It. So actually HELP is an acronym um, for help educators, leaders, and parents. So it's funny because I keep wavering about whether or not I should make it helps and educates, right? So we can put students in there, helps educate leaders, parents, and students. But my goal is to empower parents to empower their children. I don't want to come in and be the hero in this story. I want the parents to be the hero of their story. I want their children to look up to them and admire them for learning these skills. Now, you know, that's what I did. I went to school and I um, have lots of education behind me in order to raise my kids, but that's a huge overkill and we can't, we don't need every parent to do that. So my goal in the help and educate us was to be that resource to parents so that they didn't have to go get a degree in it, but had the benefit of the knowledge and the 25 years of experience that I have which is priceless, absolutely priceless for any parent. Right, right. Now, I know that this passion of yours to help parents goes beyond just the perspective of behavior. I know there are several other things you like to do, you are doing to help parents. Right. Well, one of the things that I noticed when I would go in, so I, unfortunately, parents uh, wait till the last second to call me. So if I can put a plug out for anything, it's that reminder that early intervention is key. Don't wait until you're in crisis. But for now, people call me typically in crisis and kids are suicidal. They call me when the kids are cutting. There's maybe either been a suicide attempt or, or they're afraid that there will be. They're cutting school. They're in trouble with the law. So by the time I get to the kids, there's usually some real, real, real big problems that we're addressing. But what I found when I went into there is people would say, please help me with my child. I'm afraid they're going to, I'm afraid they're going to kill themselves or whatever. I'm afraid I'm going to lose them when I come in. And, and initially I was like, okay, that'll be $6,000. Right. And then now the parent is suicidal too, because they can't afford it. And, and they're going to lose their child because of money. And so I started saying, okay, wait, uh, we've got to solve this problem whether they can afford it or not. Well, that's not a very, you know, I would say this in business meetings and people were like, well, that's not a very good business model. <laughs> and it's not. I mean, I do need to get paid in some way. So what I decided was we need to make it so that 
parents can get the help that they need when they need it and pay for it when they can afford it. And also, it needs to be a whole family approach. Often when parents call me in, they think that what I'm going to do is solve their child. And what they learn is that I'm going to fix the whole family. Behavior happens because of the interaction between people. So I can't go in and tell the child to act a certain way, even if you treat them badly, right? I have to go in and teach you how to behave as well. And so, and I can't just teach mom how to behave. Dad has to learn also, and siblings have to learn too. So when we're going in, you may call me because Joey is suicidal and having trouble, but it's a whole family approach. And we've got to get everybody on board so that they are interactive positively, interacting positively with each other and supporting one another. Unfortunately, when I go into these family, family dynamics, what I find is maybe maybe it's a single mom um, and she's working all the time, which was true of me, and or it's a two-parent household and the mom and dad are both working because they're trying and they're they're struggling because the child is their behavior. They're getting called out to schools all the time. They're getting going out for court dates and stuff, you know. So one of the most important things we need to do is get moms or dads, whoever it is, we've got to get an adult in the home as much as possible. Um, and we need them to be able to, to still make the money that they need to be able to pay for my treatment or um, provide for their family. So that financial piece became huge. And I started to think when I quit my job with the ABA companies and decided to start my own business, I needed money too. And I was looking for ways to work from home so that I could be with my kids. And I had pulled my kids out of public school and was homeschooling them, even though I was working full time every day. So that's a whole different story. We can talk about that another time. But, um, but so my kids were home and I wasn't home. And so when I started helping educate us, part of it was to be home with my kids and then I started saying, well, how can we let moms be at home? And so I started another business called Homeworkers. And the Homeworkers, at first it was going to be like mom jobs, right? It was going to be this idea where moms could work from home. But my 25-year-old daughter, who has special needs, struggles at working in the workforce. And it's ideal for her to work from home as an independent contractor. So she was kind of, okay, we don't want it to be just moms. We want it to be anybody who would like to work from home and get paid immediately. And one of the things that I saw with other mom job type things, work, home, work from home type scenarios was that you didn't really know what kind, how good the work was going to come back, right? But I wanted... I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and I had said, Hey, what do you guys need help with? And then I went and I said, Hey, I've got all these moms who need work. What would you think about giving me work for them? And they were all super excited about it. And so I've got businesses on one side who have things that they want done. And I've got moms on the other side who want things done. And those other job placements, when I was reading the reviews about them, they were like, I never get called for a job. I never, uh, there's not enough work, all these things. So from a behavior analyst perspective, I started saying, how could we make it super reinforcing for employers and for moms? And one of those things is to pay them right away. So if I have, let's say I have two extra hours today, I can go in 
and pull down a job that needs to be done, work on it for two hours, and get paid within three days. Some of the employers pay even faster. But on the reinforcing side for the employers, what I did was create a rubric for the jobs that they wanted done so that they were being very clear about what they wanted done and the moms were very clear about what was expected. And then they get a grade on how well they did. And the ones with the highest scores get the jobs first. And businesses can look at their scores and say, I want someone, like I care more about someone who does it quickly and accurately versus someone who, you know, any other characteristics. So then we can start, eventually we'll have a an algorithm that does it. Right now my brain is the algorithm and I just find out from employers what they want and find out from moms what they're really good at and what they enjoy doing. And then we match them so that everybody's getting to do things that they want to do and they get paid um, as quickly as possible. I love it. Homeworkers. Huh? Homeworkers, yeah. It just, it just makes so much sense. And, you know, it's, it's a win-win. Right, right. Well, and I like to think of it as a win-win-win because we've got the employer, the family, but then we've also got the community where they're spending more money in our own communities, right? That money is benefiting the communities as well. Yes, and I know that, for families of children with special needs, finances are a huge issue. Absolutely. Isn't it like four times more expensive to raise a child with special needs than that's expensive uh, to raise any child, but when you have a child with special needs, you know, oh, quadruple that. Yeah, at least, you know, because then it just it just depends on if you have insurance and every other thing and how many different, yeah, it's just, it's really hard. Which, which kind of brings us to another thing I'd like to tell you about, something fun that I do. So I solved the financial problem by offering them a job. But the other thing that's really important for families with special needs, well, all families, but we, we've got to get families out enjoying time together, right? And this money part that you were talking about, it's so expensive to go out and do anything with anybody, with our families anymore. So there is a company that I bought a franchise or I'm buying a franchise of called My Discovery Destination. And what they do is provide free and fun family activities to help strengthen families and build communities. I think that's the exact quote. And so and the way they can do that is that we provide there's a Facebook page, My Discovery Destination, and there's one for different areas. So the one that I'm buying two franchises. One is My Discovery Destinations, Utah County, and Harriman. And in those two areas, what I do is go and find businesses who want to support families and building strong families and communities, right? So, and then I let them market directly to their target market of these families through this Facebook page but in a very special way so that you're not being bombarded by um, advertisements. So if you go to my discovery destination, Utah County, you'll find post after post of free activities for families. All of them are free on every Tuesday. We do what's called Tuesday trends. And in there, any business who is an adventure partner, which is what we call these partners who provide the free activities, they get to post their coupons or specials or notifications in 
the Tuesday trends. So if you're interested in finding out something that maybe does cost money, but you want to support these businesses who are supporting these free activities, then you'll go into the Tuesday trend and you'll look to see. And it looks very much like a Val pack, except for it's digital. The Val pack you know, um, comes once a month, but this comes weekly. And so it's a real uh, benefit to our adventure partners to be able to communicate directly to families in a, in a digital way. Also, they can post their, can post like information and all kinds of things that are just hugely beneficial to families that are not sales, right? So, um, and then you can, they can also comment and post and just really to build relationships with families who are their target market. One of my favorite adventure partners is uh, VR junkies in Harriman. So Nate, I call him Nate the Great. He was concerned about the suicide rate in Harriman. And I don't know if you've noticed, but in Harriman, for some reason, it's worse than in some other places. And, and so he literally bought this gaming arcade to try and help give kids in Harriman something enjoyable to do that might help them have more joy and hope. And, and his idea was that if we can get families out uh, doing recreation together, that they will bond and stuff. And so one of the things that I do through help and educate us is one of the therapies that I do is actually VR therapy. So every Monday in Harriman, I go to the VR junkies and for ask a BCBA night um, and that's where you can come and ask me any questions about behavior or, or special education or any experience or just talk and chat and tell me about your child and stuff. And, and I'll always be there every Monday night. But when I have a client, I've taken them before to VR junkies and we've had some amazing experiences. This first, this first person that I took, we, I don't know, have you done VR junkies before? I I haven't. I'm not okay. familiar with it. But I heard something very key I want to emphasize. So if parents want to contact you, one way is to go to VR Junkies in Harriman on a Monday night. You'll be there. They can ask you questions and get some immediate answers. I love that. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So would you like to know about VR therapy? Yes, yes. Tell me tell us about okay. it. So this client that I took, it was really exciting. So virtual reality or is what VR stands for. Virtual reality is a headset that you put on. So it covers your eyes and your ears and it tricks your brain into believing that you are actually in the scenario that you're in. So it's like a video game, but instead of looking at it on a screen, you're inside the video game, right? So one of the first things that we did was go up into a high rise tower. So you go, you get inside an elevator and you go to the very top of this high rise and the doors open and there's a plank that goes out above the city and you have to walk out onto the plank and eat some cake from, from there. And you've got your brain so convinced, like, you know, hundred percent that you have a headset on that it's not real, but your brain cannot tell the difference. And so it's a great opportunity. And there's a lot of research in these VR and the possibility of VR therapy. But so initially the mom was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I said, I need you to respond the way you want your kids to respond when you ask them to do something scary. You know that there's no danger to you right now. 
And so how do you want your child to respond? And so she was scared, but she did it anyway because she wanted to model for her child how to behave when she asked them to do something that they thought they were would be scary. And in the end, by the end, she absolutely loved it. So she went out, she had the cake, it was scary. Then she took a step off of the platform and let, and then you fall right to your death and, and realize that you're not dead and everything's okay. Um, and then after that, um, there's a game where you can put out fires. So in one hand you have kind of this, I don't know how you'd describe it, like a rocket so that you can fly around. And in the other hand, you have a, a water hose so you can put out fires and you fly all over the city putting out fires and it's really fun. Um, so we started off with that and the modeling how you want your children to behave when you ask them to do hard things. And then one of the problems that the family was having is that the child was always fighting with the parent. So we put them in a game where the child was fighting against. So each family member puts a headset on and they can be in the game together and they can fight against each other. And that makes a neurochemical response in your brain because it thinks it's real where you're fighting against your family. And then we stopped it and we said, let's try something different. And we put the headsets on, put them in a game where they were fighting with each other. So now they're fighting like orcs or something, but they're on the same team. And then afterwards we take the heads off headsets off and say, how did it feel? Do you prefer to fight against your family or with your family? And humans psychologically don't want to fight within the family. It feels better to feel supported and helped. And so coming out of that, they talk about, well, it feels better to have my family fighting with me than against. And then we, we sat down and we said, what can we fight for and together instead of fighting against each other. And we just had a beautiful experience where we were able to set some goals and set some things where we were going to fight together for the same cause instead of against each other. And it just changed lives and was beautiful. That sounds so powerful. And I'm, I'm thinking that sounds like your recreational therapy background. That sounds very effective. I love it. Right. I love it. Right. So, yeah. So I also have a contract with the breakout escape room. So I have a breakout therapy, a, an escape room type therapy and an archery type therapy. So I think maybe the key to understand about help and educate us is it's probably not like anything you've ever mentioned and it's not the same for any one person. So when I go in and I do the assessment and I figure out what they need, then I try to look for what is the most fun way that I can teach this skill and we go and do it. So I don't have an office and I typically, I do go to some people's houses, but for the most part, we like to go out and do fun things that teach Wonderful, wonderful. So how do parents, parents can contact you through your Facebook page, which is Help and Educate Us. Yep. They can email you at us at gmail.com. Yep. And um, we'll have your, you, they can text you. We'll also post your phone number. Okay. So they can Great. text you, email you, reach out to you through your Facebook group. Mel, I love what you're doing. You are such a valuable resource to parents in the Utah County, Harriman area. I hope they all take full advantage of your years of expertise and experience. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to help. It is, it is my 
favorite thing to help families empower parents to be powerful and help their kids to be powerful as well. Well, thank you for joining us. And Mel, you have a great day. You too. Thanks.